to the cult film companion podcast the home of movies that are off under and ahead of the cinematic radar my name is chris i'm your host and uh joining me for this episode i have a very special returning guest that i'm going to introduce to you in just a couple seconds but first i just want to remind everyone that the cult film companion podcast is now available on all major platforms uh, all major podcast platforms that is and if we are on a platform of your choice that uh, doesn't carry our show please let me know and I'll do my best to get us up there on that platform please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cult film comp c-u-l-t-f-i-l-m-c-o-m-p we are also a proud member of the blind knowledge collective at www.blindknowledge.com which is a great site to check out for interesting and entertaining podcasts and video casts from around the world so please visit all the fine creators there The Cult Film Companion Podcast is also a featured podcast on Newsly. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android that picks up the latest trending articles from around the world and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. Stop scrolling, start listening. Download and use Newsly for free today at www.newsly.me. And please use our promo code CULTFILM. C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's cult film. Drop the I, pop in a one, and get a free month of their premium services. Joining me for this very special episode is a returning guest, Kevin the Critic. Kevin, welcome back to the Cult Film Companion Podcast. Thank you for having thank you for having me back on. This is this will be a fun one. Yes, it uh, will. Another another fun one. It's it's even it's it's even older the last one. It is. We uh, previously had talked about Josie and the Pussycats, and for some reason it, it seems that uh, you and I, when we do an episode together, we have to do something music-related. Yeah, I, <laughs> I didn't even think about that until you just said it. It was like, wow, this is music. Music is... Music is a common thread, I guess. Yeah, so we're, we're, we'll have to keep up this 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 trend going because this this was just pure happenstance. This wasn't anything planned. We are, of course, talking about Clint Eastwood, his directorial debut, "Play Misty for Me," and I had previously planned this uh, last week. We were going to do the episode, and I was hoping to release this episode to coincide with Clint Eastwood's. I believe it's his ninety ninety first ninety second. Bir- first birthday oh, really? so that, um that's, that's great and uh unfortunately i i've been I, i've been down with uh covid so uh i'm 
trying to get back to the podcast thing, so we'll have this to coincide with his uh, belated birthday, so to speak. But Kevin, just um, before we get into play Misty for me, just just your general thoughts as Clint East for Clint Eastwood, not only as an acclaimed actor, but also as an acclaimed director. I mean, uh, and, uh, as in, it's not good. I was just thinking, like, what was? Do you remember the first time that you saw a Clint Eastwood movie? Um, yeah, I think, I think the, I think the first time that I saw a Clint Eastwood movie was uh, my dad and I tried to watch The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly on TV, and the commercials broke up the pacing so badly that we couldn't get through it. Uh, but then after that, but then. I think it's, I think the first thing I saw him in was probably like Million Dollar Baby when I was like fourteen or something like that, and I really I really enjoyed it. I generally I generally I enjoy him. I think he's a I think he's a very talented actor, very talented director. You know, he seems to pick his projects very carefully, and I appreciate that. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he's someone that even if you've just got a passing knowledge or familiarity with cinema, you've either seen a movie that he's starred in or you've seen a movie that he's directed. And we're talking about his... (coughs) Damn COVID cough. Uh, We're talking about his 1971 directorial debut, Play Misty for Me. And this was a first-time watch for you, correct? Yeah, this is a yeah. This is the first time. This is the first time watch for me. I I honestly never heard of it until you suggested it to me, and then you know I saw Jessica Walter was in it, and it took me far longer than it should have to realize that she was uh, the mom on Arrested Development. I yeah, I was gonna say her career. <laughs> you know, the first time I saw this movie, because um, this was nineteen seventy one. Obviously, I wasn't alive <laughs> so um no. uh i the first time i saw this movie was actually before arrested development was even a show so i wasn't even familiar with uh lucille bluth as a character the first time i saw this and it's very weird <coughs> oh god Excuse me. yeah it's 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 bizarre <laughs> seeing lucille bluth stalk Clint eastwood for an hour and a half Right, and so the reason that I chose this particular movie is that Clint Eastwood's filmography, for the most part, is way too popular and mainstream to kind of say, oh, well, that's a that's a cult film. But this movie, I think, is unique, and the reason that I picked it is that it kind of comes into... Something that I found while doing this show is that sometimes you'll come across a movie. <coughs> uh, excuse me. You'll come across a movie from a director, in this case, Clint Eastwood, that gets overshadowed by his other more popular works. And, you know, someone like Clint Eastwood has so many movies. But I kind of break them, they kind of fall into like three categories. Uh, well, three and a half. I'll say one, uh, the westerns. That's like a staple of Clint Eastwood. Number two, it's a movie where he's playing a cop. I mean, his most one of his most famous characters is, of course, Dirty Harry, but he's portrayed a cop in, in numerous other films. 
And three is like the dramatic Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, something like Million Dollar Baby. Uh, uh, somebody said, I, like, Gran Torino is in that. I'm right. Sure. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure the mule falls into that. It does, yes. It, or uh, something, even something that he's not in, but he directed, something like Mystic River, which is a great, you know, crime yeah. drama thriller. And then, like, the yeah. point five, there's kind of, like, the goofy Clint Eastwood movies. He did a couple oh, movies. There is? Yeah, there's a couple. He did a couple movies with a monkey uh, called like, any, any Which Way. What? Yeah, he's done a couple goofy movies. Uh, oh, my God. I cannot, I cannot imagine Clint Eastwood being goofy. He's so serious well, well, all the time. <laughs> well, let me, let me uh, um, clarify that. I, I, the movie is goofy. He, he is not playing a goofy character. Okay. Uh, it's a, it's different. Like the, it's like he's playing the straight man, and everything around him is absolutely ludicrous and goofy and silly going on around him. Uh, that that sounds fun. So, <laughs> so something like play misty for me is it, it can kind of fall into the drama category, but I would say that it, it's it's the closest that we've ever gotten to a. Clint Eastwood psychological thriller or the closest to a Clint Eastwood horror movie. Um, so just, I mean, for those of you who are not familiar with the movie and are just listening to this, uh, Clint Eastwood plays a disc jockey. So this doesn't fall into the, he's not a cop. He's a disc jockey and he play. he's a, a jazz, just a, a disc jockey. And Clint Eastwood is actually in real life, a, a huge jazz fan and he directed uh, um the movie about uh, John Coltrane I believe called Birdie uh starring Forrest Whitaker which is a great uh biopic and so we've got a disc jockey who's being stalked by his number one fan and also trying at the same time to reestablish um a relationship with the, I guess, the one that got away, his his one true love, and yeah, I can, I had trouble kind of figuring out what they were for about half of this movie. Um, yeah, I mean, it, like you said, it. So, general thoughts about Play Misty for me. Uh, you rated this, I believe, three out of five stars, right? I did. I, yes, I did. And then I had some. <laughs> I, and then I had somebody respond. Oh, if he made this today, it would be a five out of five. You people, you youngsters, don't like anything that's not made in the twenty first century. To which I was like, to which I just voiced my problems with it, and then the guy never responded. I mean, uh, yeah, this movie is not a five out of five. And no. I mean, I like this movie. I do have issues with this movie, though. Um, it very much, I would say, stinks of a first-time director. And maybe oh my, yeah. maybe not it's stinks, it smells. Smells is a yeah. nicer word. It doesn't... It's, it's definitely it, it, some... It, it, it's not someone who's honed his directorial craft yet. No, and that was that was actually one of the yeah that I didn't know this was his first time as a director, but it was kind of like yeah I can believe that because I know I I've kind of seen Clint Eastwood's directorial style before 
in uh, in order in like newer ish movies, and he, yeah, it's very clear like he hasn't done this before. No, and so this movie kind of this movie came about. I'm just going to do a quick background here. This movie came about the um, a former model and actress Joe Himes came up with an original story and. She and Dean Reisner came up with a screenplay, and basically, Clint Eastwood, who had previously been kind of known at the time for working with Warner Brothers, had a three-picture deal at Universal Pictures, and after years of, he was very much a student of the game. He was someone that, you know, was known for being an actor, but if there was a scene that was being shot you know that he wasn't in he 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 was the kind of person that he would hang around on set and watch what the director does watch what the cinematographer was doing you know how to move the camera and how to direct actors so he had this itch that he really wanted to direct but i mean no one was kind of uh nobody else nobody else was feeling this itch so to speak none of the, none of the movie producers or movie studio heads were like, oh, well, well, he's a great actor. Let's see if he could direct. He he wanted to direct. So basically, he had a meeting and this script came up and they were like, well, we want you to do the movie. And he's like, okay, I'll do the movie, but I also want to direct it. And they were like, okay. And then they called his agent back in, and they're like, okay, he can star and direct in it, but we're not going to pay him um, for both. So he, uh, his his agent said, okay, well, we'll get points on the back end. If this movie does well, like, he'll see residual profits from it. So he had, I mean, the budget has been disputed. I've gotten figures from $750,000 to $950,000 to about 1.2 million. It that's all been kind of that's been disputed, but this movie did relatively well at the box office given that that kind of small budget and the fact that it was kind of a different thing for Clint Eastwood to be doing, best known for westerns at the time. Um this movie grossed ten point six million at the box office. Wow, that that's, and I think somebody, I, I think somebody, or not someone. I think I read that this is like, this was one of the first movies of this type, the kind of like quote unquote crazy woman stalker movie kind of thing, which is why it had like a lot of novelty back in the seventies. Yeah, it was. I mean, nowadays, unfortunately, the the era we've we're, we're living in the era of the celebrity stalker now. Now with social media and everything, it's making things so easy. Oh, for, yeah, for, I just, yeah, I just saw. Oh God, what's it called? Uh, Ingrid Goes West, which is all about that, like celebrity. Uh, someone who's stalking a celebrity and ingratiating himself into the celebrity's life. Yeah, so that's made for now. This is clearly like back in the seventies. Yeah, and I just saw um, I just saw the news article that John Hinckley is gonna get released from prison, and uh, John Hinckley was the person that famously tried to kill 
Ronald Reagan back in the 80s, and he was doing it to impress Jodie Foster. And uh, I, I hate to break it to Mr. Hinckley, but uh, given Jodie Foster's uh, uh, yeah, sexuality... She's, uh, she's not interested in Mr. Hinckley. Sorry. No, he's he's barking up the wrong tree, so hopefully someone yeah, breaks that news to him. I hope... Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I hope somebody tells him because uh, that would be an that would be an awkward, uh, very awkward situation now. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, but like you said, this was one of the first of its time. I mean, I mean, horror movies and slasher movies were nothing new at this point. You know, this this was post Psycho and post Peeping Tom, which is an um, an uh, an underrated. Um, slasher movie. I would say that those two kind of ushered us into the the era of the modern psychological thriller slash slasher movie, um, for lack of a better word. But just your general thoughts overall. I mean, I think I would say either three point five or f- four, depending um, on star ratings. Uh, I would say that I would I think that three is more than fair for something like this, and I I mean for someone saying that oh you youngins wouldn't understand I was just like all right but just like as a movie you know there's certain movies I could name several movies from the seventies or you know the sixties that that have stood this test of time this movie it feels very dated parts of it are very very dated and. And it definitely, it definitely feels like a first-time director. Not only, but not only. Just to go along with my criticism, I want to. I just want to preface that by saying, it's caught. I, you know, I don't have any experience doing this other than like, you know, home movies or like fake films with my friends and family. But I can only imagine what it must be like to not only direct a movie. But also be the lead in a movie who's in ninety five percent of the scenes. So I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I understand. I understand that too. I mean, I, I'm sure that like directing a movie that you're the that you're the star of is difficult. And I do I do respect that he wanted to do this, and you know, it kickstarted it kickstarted a great career behind the camera. Exactly, and I, I mean, it, this this led to great things. It by itself to me is not really a great thing. No, and I think that it was very much. I think at the time, it, it probably if if you and I were able to go into a time machine back to 1971 to watch this, um, I think the audience reaction probably was inc- was pretty intense because, like you said, this was not something that you see. I mean, if you pull up Netflix now. Or Tubi or any other streaming site. There, there's so many movies about uh, celebrity obsession and you know what happens, or just like, or, or peop- just like, 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 like this is like uh, the poster child. Like this is why you don't cheat. This entire <laughs> genre is like, men do not cheat. This could happen to you. And something that I'll give this, something I'll give this one credit for is that I think it feels. I think a lot of this feels very realistic and as grounded as it can be, as opposed to a lot of other things in the in this genre, which kind of go off the rails in the, in an enjoyable way. This one stayed pretty much like all right, believable, almost throughout it for me. 
Yeah, and another thing I will say, so he never, um, and I've watched this movie a couple times, he's never, the character that Jessica Walter plays is obsessed with him, but he never, the dialogue is very, very clear, he never leads her <clears throat> Excuse me. No. He never leads her on. So this is not a case of I wouldn't even say it's cheating so much as well, I, I think he's being deceitful to the girl that he's trying to, to re, uh, rekindle that flame with. But he yeah. he's never uh, he's not the aggressor in this situation. Um, in fact, I think one of my favorite scenes of this movie is. Him and the bartender, the bartender is played by Don Siegel, who is not an actor, but is actually a director. And Don Siegel has directed five films of Clint Eastwood's, and he actually directed my all-time favorite of uh, Clint Eastwood's. The original Dirty Harry is my all-time favorite Clint Eastwood movie. He brought on Don Siegel because he wasn't, you know, being a first-time director... He wa- he wanted to have like an established director around with him to like if I fall flat on my face, you know, I'll have somebody there to pick me up. Um Sure. But my one of my favorite scenes of this movie is is Don Siegel plays the bartender and they have this ridiculous game that is just like bottle caps and like junk found around the bar. That it is it's just a made up game. And the first time I watched it, I'm like Am I missing something here? I've never heard of this game. And you're not supposed to have heard of this game. It's it's basically a game to gain the attention of somebody else. It's of a woman. Like Yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I was like, okay, this is I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a cute little bit and I'm, and it's even it's it it stands out for me more now that like you told me, "Oh, that was a director. That's why he had him there." Cuz I mean, the guy might not have been an actor, but for a small part, he did all right. Yeah, and th- th- that was the thing that he Don Siegel even asked him. He goes, "Are you sure you want me for this?" I mean, he's like, "I'm not an actor. Like, I never claimed to be an actor." <laughs> so, I mean, so I, and that's another thing that, I, like I said, I this is not this is not my favorite movie that Clint Eastwood has directed, not by a long shot. Okay. Nor is it my favorite movie he starred in. But the fact that for a first-time director, I like that's why I I I gotta kind of bump up the star rating. I would say that for a first-time director, this is this is this is more than um, adequate. This is more than what I would expect from a first-time director. Um, but then, on comparison to say something, I think that the best movie he ever directed, and this is just me, my just my personal opinion, is Mystic River. I think is just an absolutely beautiful movie. That is just incredible. So that what I would say is easily a five out of five. So I would say you know I'm going to agree with you. I would say three three point five stars out of five for something like Play Misty for me. Oh yeah, and I guess now we can like, and I guess like getting more into it. Like one of my one of my biggest. So the first so the things that I like, I think that Jessica Walter is who carries this movie. I think he was like whoever made the decision to cast her. They did. They understood the assignment, as they say. Like she, that, that was Clint- she. She carried this thing more for me than he did. Like I, I actually think. Honestly, one of the biggest stumbling blocks in this for me is buying Clint Eastwood as an average Joe. 
<laughs> I do not buy that in the slightest. I it's mean, like, no. <laughs> so I, I thought, I, I, the first time I saw this, I thought the same thing. But then I kind of, I, I said, okay, let me try to put myself into a 1970s mindset. We're talking pre-cable. We're talking TV that had four or five channels. We're not pre-internet, pre-TMZ, pre-social media. So you were living in an era back then where your favorite disc jockey could be a quote-unquote celebrity. That's just kind of the way that things were. So I can... And it's tough for me to buy, you know, but like as far as being a disc jockey, I can see because like his natural passion for jazz and blues music comes through this movie. No, it does. Like that, and that's the thing. Surprising. Like he doesn't. Like I don't buy him as an as an average Joe, but I do buy him as somebody that loves jazz. Like loves like the disc jockey scenes where he's just like you know serenading his audience. Those bits are like okay. This I believe, right? But when he's just like walking around or just talking to people, I'm just like, uh, uh, you, no, you don't, you don't communicate being Joe Average to me at all. You communicate being like, like, uh, like uh, you, you don't. Yeah, I don't buy him in this part outside of the, like the jazz scenes and when he has to get intense. Like when he has to get intense near in the second half. Yeah, I think he's. That's what his strength is, being really intense. When he's just being super casual, that's where it feels like he's having to work a little bit more. Right, and I think that's why, I think because of, like like you said, he's very good at being this very intense persona, like like he ha- was with the man with no name and the um, that great Western trilogy. And then Dirty Harry is like the epitome of like just like a gritty cop. I mean, you got the squint, you got the the gravelly voice, you got the uh, one-liners. That's why I think that that scene in the bar, because that to me rings true of just, like, he actually, of all the scenes where he acts, has to act like a natural person, that scene in the bar seems the most genuine to me, because I, I know for a fact from doing research of this movie that this was the kind of game that he actually played with Don Siegel. So, like, that okay. that's why it rings... That scene, for me, particularly, rings so true. Yeah, I agree. That that one scene between the two of them is, like, the most genuine feeling... That's, like, the most genuine feeling thing. And then I also think... I think he has, like, pretty good chemistry with Donna Mills, who plays the, the girl he's trying to get back with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, they, they were, they're fine together. Um, and I love the I love the running gag, and I don't know if it's supposed to be a running gag or not, but I love the running thing where it's like she has a revolving door of roommates throughout the entire thing. Now, I, that was only... I think that was just set up in the plot, so the final roommate spoiler warning yeah. and it was going to be Jessica Walter. And okay. I think well, I think that was actually kind of a clever that was a clever yeah. kind of way to um it, so like it's not just out of the blue, so it's it's no, kind of like was, yeah, it was very clever for them to set that up like that. So we're dealing with, you know, the 1970s, we're dealing with a, a hippie. It's not a commune, but it's like the kind of place like okay, 
you know, if you're a hippie and you're like into this sort of thing, you're into art. Like everyone, everyone in this movie, uh, except for Jessica Walter, is either, you know, like in the music scene or in the art scene. And uh, so, like, it it rings true to me that they would have a boarding house kind of set up. Like, you don't need a lease. You don't have a contract. Yeah, and they you, even say, like, Donna Mills' character even says that her parents left her this house. So they explain why she's living there. Right. It's not just like, oh, she found, like, okay, yeah, like, again, it's a logic thing. Like, okay, her parents left her this house, she needs to pay the rent, and so there's always, and she said, like, the, a lot of people don't like it out here being so secluded. And so the revolving door of roommates makes total sense. Right. I would have to say the biggest thing that I did not buy in this movie is that celebrity disc jockey or no, there's no way that this guy's affording this a beautiful house that he has. No, no, <laughs> no, he's not. Like, that, yeah, that, that, his house is it's really gorgeous. Nice. Like, it's really nice. And it's like, how do you afford this on a DJ salary? Right, exactly. I and, mean, and, and then it's like, he's, it's also funny, like, so there's a point later on where, he has to ha- he has to like set up a meeting with somebody with a big like a, a larger disc jockey, and I, I never got the sense from the film of like how big he was, as to like why someone would want to hire him for their show. I guess right. Like I, I wish they had done if he, if they're gonna do that. I wish they had done more to say or to show us. Okay, this guy is like the biggest disc jockey on the entire island or whatever. Because when they pull that out, it's like, oh my god, Marge, you know, blah blah wants to see you. I'm like, okay, why? Like, what? How is he different from any other DJ on the island? Right. You, you, yeah. That's another thing that um, there are a couple things that I would like. I would have liked to have that expanded. And there is one part in the movie that I think that absolutely towards leading up to the third act is this montage of him and Donna Mills making love in the woods. I know. That, that made me laugh. Like, it, that, that made me laugh so hard. Just like, we're just going to plop this here. That is my biggest oh my criticism of this movie. It's like, it's like the biggest tension breaker I've ever seen. It's like, okay, we're building up. The last time we saw her, you know, she, she's like, Jessica Walter is really unhinged now. And now we're going to have a five minute love scene in the woods. It reminds me of Twilight Breaking Dawn. It's like, why are we doing this? Like, I, I get it. Like, it's, I get that its purpose is to show that he's committing himself to her now. But what I was wondering was, why didn't you tell her what she, what this lady looked like? You know, so this is this is <laughs> this is the phrase that I came up with while rewatching this, and note, and I noticed that, like you said, this is the biggest tension builder, the tension breaker of in the movie, and it is horribly placed. This this scene should have taken place like twenty minutes earlier in the film. It's yeah, it, it should have taken place directly after the first scene where they where he meet see them together because like the beginning of this also it's structured I would have liked it more if they had just said he's trying to get back with her 
and then like set him up first, and then have Jesse Walter come in because he's like, okay, set up how good his life is. He's got a beautiful girl. He's got a beautiful house. He's got a good job. And so, and like, make that love scene in the first act of the movie so that we can see, like, okay, how close they are together. Right. Absolutely. Like that, this, yeah, like, that should not have gone near the end of the movie. This, this is the phrase that I came up with, Kevin. Cinematic masturbation. And what I, <laughs> what I mean by that is that this scene was not scripted. This... Uh, uh, Clint Eastwood became obsessed with the song by Roberta Flack, which is called First Time Ever I Saw Your Face, which is an absolutely beautiful song, but he was, like, obsessed with this song. And oh, so, like, he just came up with this montage in his head. And I think... So, like, that's why I say it's, like, cinematic masturbation, because it, it's not... So useless, like it's just watching in like I'm no prude. Like I'm, like sex scenes are fine, but it's just a placement of this. It's like great. I'm watching Clint Eastwood and his girlfriend make out, like, Na- naked under a okay. waterfall. It's naked. like and look, and look they, they both look beautiful. <laughs> they but do. I'm like, what is this doing here? <laughs> like the, and so like, I think that if um, Clint Eastwood had made this movie after having some experience as a director, I think he either would have not filmed this scene at all or at least put it earlier in the movie because it doesn't... Its placement kills the tension. But he was so obsessed with this mute song that he he paid $2,000 to have... And we listened, we listened to the entire song. And This is not a knock on the song because the song no. is great. No. The song is beautiful. No, the, song, the song was great. It was just the imagery he was going with. I was like... This... I get like... If I didn't know that he was a first-time director before, that scene probably clued me in. Like, how many movies has he directed that he thinks this is okay to put here in the story? <laughs> because he's he's really good at... Like, the suspense is slowly ratcheting up. We're watching this woman become so unhinged. Like, even from their first meeting, like... She, like, like slowly but surely, this movie is great at building suspense and tension. But then this scene, but then this scene comes in and it breaks all that tension, and we're back to square one. Yeah, and the whole thing of like, and I was like, I would, I think that there is tension whenever Jessica Walters on screen because she brings a lot of it, and he uses. There are a couple of scenes where he uses lighting really well to like darken things up. But what, one of my other biggest problems with this is that whenever Jessica Walter wasn't on screen, I didn't feel her presence looming over it. It felt almost too casual to me with, like, the bright, beautiful locales and everything. And so I was shocked when the third act did get really tense. I think... Like, it was like... The, the third act is the strongest part because he's, like... he's It's like, that is where all the good stuff is. I this scene I I think that this movie also needed one uh, and I I don't want to advocate violence but for a movie like this I kind of think that we needed to see just how violent and unhinged Jessica Walter is a little bit earlier we don't see yeah, we don't it's too, it's too late like and even like in that even that first scene where they show you that she they hint that she's unhinged where it's like 
they're having a perfectly normal conversation outside. Right. Some old dude comes outside and says, "Be quiet, you'll be quiet." It's like, yeah, okay, you, what? And just off the no. top, and just off the top of my head, have her come back that night off that neighbor just for no reason. You know, yeah, like something like you need some, you need something like that early on because like it goes. I mean, this is like the ultimate zero to sixty kind of thing. Like we go from yeah, like she kind of amps up, she kind of hits like ten, twenty, twenty five, and then like we're at a hundred. <laughs> like it's yeah, too quick. She, it's really like every yeah. It's like because I was like it's a okay, that was the other thing. I'm like. How is this idiot not noticing the danger signs? Like she's like she's showing up at his house, bringing him steak and wine, and she's losing her temper really easily over small stuff, and she's getting super clingy onto him, and so unintentionally it made Clint Eastwood look dumb to me that he wasn't picking up like some of this is wrong until she literally until she kills someone that's close to him, like. Oh, now you're gonna notice something's wrong. But so, like, yeah, I had this. I had similar feelings, but it was kind of established in previous dialogue with him and Donna Mills that he kind of has an issue with women. Um, she she kind of jokes around, and he, you know, about him mm, kind of having this. It, I don't know. Does he have a sex addiction? He might. I, well, you know. To me, they implied that he sleeps around a lot. Right. And exactly. That their relationship. Their relationship is kind of like, like she's kind of uncertain about like, do I really want to get back with you because I know you have this kind of thing for you know, like sleeping around a lot, and I know that I'm not. I'm know that I'm not always here because I gotta go do stuff, and it's just like. So it's it's kind of yeah it is a little odd that yeah. he doesn't it's just weird that he doesn't pick up on several signs that that she gives him that something is wrong it's like the red the red flags could not be waving any harder the, in yeah, this guy's like, face it's like, it's like projecting the red flags onto like a a jumbotron yeah and his like Oh, I don't see anything. It's like, oh, come on. Like, I don't care if it's the 70s. If a girl started doing this, you would be like, oh. So, so let's talk about the good things in this movie. Yeah. I Like you said, Jessica Walter, and, and you were saying whoever cast her, it was Clint Eastwood. Because the, stu oh. the, studio, the studio wanted Lee Remick, who was... I, the only movie off the top of my head that I know her from is, of course, the original Omen. And she is just incredible in that. But the studio wanted Lee Remick. Uh, Clint Eastwood had seen Jessica Walter in something else and wanted to cast her. And to your this is this is her movie. Like, she, she carries this movie. And rightfully so, she was nominated for a Golden Globe nomination for, for this performance. Rightfully so, right. I would say. Oh yeah, yeah. Like even, yeah, even in like, yeah, because like in that that first scene where we see her, she comes off as being totally normal, like somebody that like you wouldn't notice anything off about her. Like she's yeah. just sitting there, and you know, 
the, the bartender is like, hey, you know, she's waiting for somebody. I mean, she plays it off totally innocently. And it's partially due with her and partially good with how good the script is there of, like, getting you with him of, like, okay, you, you don't notice anything. And even when, and also, like, when she ratchets up, like, she has to go back and forth between being, like, zero to 50 and, you know, just back to normal again in, like, a few seconds of screen time. And she does that, like, two or three times excellently. Yeah. I mean, she's she's great in this movie. Another thing that um, movies at this time just weren't doing was, I mean, incorporating this live jazz festival into the story. Um, it... it, it it leads something new to this story. I mean, there's only so many times you want to see a disc jockey spinning records and talking into a microphone, but to see that, like, you know, this disc jockey is actually out there in the jazz festival. And this was filmed at the actual 1970 Monterey Jazz Festival. This was something new that, like, they weren't doing. They would would either make up their own kind of festival or just kind of film... You know, they'd make up a band and, you know, film an extra at a bar or anything. But we're at this beautiful jazz festival. So this, I mean... Yeah, that, that, that bit, I appreciated that. It was like, wow, this is, this is really cool that they filmed this here. And, you know, it looked, it looked real. Like, I didn't know it was a real jazz festival. But yeah, I was like, wow, it's awesome that you got to incorporate your love of jazz into this story naturally. Right. And, you know, it's fun, and the music is fun, too. Like, I'm not even that big of a jazz guy. I was like, hey, the music is fun and it works here. No, it totally does. And, I mean, it just builds the that It builds the character and, you know, it just kind of helps the story overall. I mean, there is a little... That is where we find out when the new roommate is moving in, too, is at the jazz festival. Yeah, and it, yeah, and it's yeah, and that yeah, it's a nice little bit. And I mean, and I'll even admit, like, even I didn't see that like the roommate thing was gonna lead to her showing up at the girlfriend's door. So some somehow I didn't see that because they kept they kept repeating it. So I took it as like a joke of like, oh, she's always having people move in, so he can't, so he can't move in permanently with her. And then they capitalized on it at the end there. No, because this is something it's done with such subtlety that, you know, nowadays a, a screenwriter would say, well, uh, this is a crucial plot twist. We got to make, we got to like hammer it over the head of the audience. This movie doesn't do it. It's, it's no, subtly it's... placed there and there's no like music stinger or nothing. It's not reiterated to the point where, you're like, okay, we get it. It's another roommate. It's oh, it's very yeah, they do it they do it just enough times to where it's like you know this is a thing that happens in her house, but not enough to where you think, Oh, the roommate's obviously, her one of her roommates is obviously in the beat Jessica Walter at some yeah. point. Uh, it's very, very clever. I actually think um and I guess for a time they were thinking about doing this before Clint Eastwood had signed on, a, a number of other actors were offered this role. I kind of wish we kind we got this movie directed by Clint Eastwood, but having a different male lead. I think me too. I yeah. think I think this movie would have been a lot. But and, and and I'm a huge Clint Eastwood fan. Like but like you said, there's something there's something about him that like. 
he just doesn't fit this role very well. No, he again, like it's that thing of even like putting it back in the seventies. Because I, I thought about that, like if I saw this in the seventies, and I said if I saw this in the seventies, I'd be thinking about how he starred in all those westerns as this tough guy, right? And so even then, it's like yeah, the the guy, and even though this being the first the first movie this type, it's like. They try really hard to have to, you know, sell you on him as a regular dude. Yeah. And Clint Eastwood just does not. He can't do. A, he can't play a regular dude. He's always got to play a tough guy, and that that toughness comes in here, and it conflicts with how the character is supposed to be reacting to a lot of things. It's like, oh, he can solve. He can solve this problem anytime he wants to. Right. You know, it's like, okay, or he can just run away or walk away or something. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think that, and I think maybe, you know, he's proven though that he can direct and star movies and, and he could do them very, very well. But this is, I mean, and that's why I like to incorporate this on the sh- the show because this is not a movie that gets talked about very often in his, his yeah. filmography. And it is by no means his best movie, but it is leagues above some of his worst movies, and he's done some 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 stinkers. Oh, um, like what? Like what stinkers have you done? Because I because I haven't seen all the things he's directed. Um, but like, what stinkers has he done? Uh, the Anyway with But Loose movie. There's two of them. There's it, it, he. It's him and a, a monkey, and I'm not kidding. There's two of these movies, <laughs> and. They're just, uh, um, and I'm not a big Western fan, but I mean, like, if I'm going to watch a Western, I'll watch uh, a Spaghetti Western with Clint Eastwood. But like I said, I'm a huge fan of the Dirty Harry series. I I, I think uh, the first one is my favorite, and um, so to me, uh, this is not his worst, and this is a movie that... I'll want to rewatch something like The Mule. Um, I watched once, and I'll never want to watch it again. But then again, something like Gran Torino. I, I'm like I that that to me is like one of his best movies ever. And yeah, I, I saw Gran Torino a few years ago. I it was a few years after, like, all the hype had died or something, probably two years after it came out, and I was like, wow, yeah, this actually is really good. It's And he's, really, he's fantastic in it, playing this, playing this so old good. guy. Yeah, like, I could go on. I can't tell you how many times I've watched that movie. The first time I watched, like, I went into it being like, it's a Clint Eastwood movie, I'll watch it. It's a Clint Eastwood. The first time I watched it, I was like, I immediately went and bought the DVD and I've watched uh, I've watched it so many times and I don't I there's, there's something about that movie I can't put my finger on it and I can't put into words why I love it so much there's it, that that movie is just like uh, just it's kind of like it's it's the movie I never knew that I kind of wanted to, to see well and even like and even something like Mystic River the even starting like I don't I'm not as fond as Mystic River as you are but there is something about it. I'll, I'll give it this. I think the setup for it is really good. Like, I, I rewatched some of it, like, a, a couple months ago. 
and I was like, I love the setup for this. Yeah, the, a lot. Like, the, like I'll give. Yeah, I, I need to watch the whole thing again to see how I feel. But I did. I did realize like I love the setup for this. I love the casting in it. You know, like the the whole like the whole tone of just dread and muck that's all, all over the mm. whole thing. You know, Lawrence Fisher and Kevin Bacon as cops. I Sean mean, Penn, like, he, yeah, Sean Penn, and Tim Robbins deserve oh, yeah, deserve yeah, their yeah, like Tim Robbins too. He's great, uh, and I even liked. Uh, oh God, I can't believe I'm playing her name. The the girl from the Fiona from the American Shameless is is Sean Penn's daughter in there. Even like I like her a lot. She did really well in here too for a brief part. So yeah, I feel like if I go back and watch Mystic River now. I probably will appreciate it more. I don't know if I'll love it, but I felt like I saw it when I was not like emotionally mature enough to uh, grapple with it, I guess. I think I saw it at just the right age where I was just like, wow, you know. Um, but let's get back to play. We're here to talk oh, about playing Misty for me. Yeah, anyway. So oh. <laughs> but no, but really like... I feel like if, if you didn't have if you didn't have Jessica Walter here, I don't know if people would remember this. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. No, I, they, they wouldn't. And because yeah, like she brings she brings such like an animalistic fear to this character. Like when she freaks out, it is terrifying. Oh yeah. Like it's like oh whoa, get away from me. Yeah. Um, she, uh, and like I said, Clint Eastwood was the one that cast her in this. So, like, that's the thing. Like, he knew that, eh, is this the best script I've ever been given? No. <laughs> but is it decent enough that if I, if I put the right people with me, can this be a decent movie? Yes. And he, this movie is, I, this, well, I will say, Behind the scenes and in front of the camera, like, he chose, like, all the best, like, he chose all the right people to surround yeah. himself with. Um, He knew, like, okay, this is my first time. He hired uh, a cinematographer that he had worked with. He, like I said, he had his friend Don Siegel on set with him because he was like, you know, if I drop the ball or if I have questions, like, I'm going to have, like, my good friend and established director there. So well, yeah, and then like the cinematography. Some of the cinematography in here is nice too. Oh, like, even though like even though we were joking on that that love scene that shouldn't have been where it was, I really like the ending shot of that where it's the two of them just embracing, standing yeah. up on the beach. Like that by itself is a really nice shot. Oh, it is. And it's... there are other, like there are other really nice shots here. Like the the town that they shot this in. It's very picturesque. Like it makes you almost want to go there. Oh, it looks so beautiful and idyllic. So this the script was based in Los Angeles, and Clint Eastwood did some some location scouting, and this movie was filmed in Monterey, California. And like you said, I like the small town feel of this. I don't think this movie would have worked as well in Los Angeles. No, it wouldn't have. Because, like, Los Angeles, I, I've never been, but I know it's, like, a really huge city. 
And so it would be it would be too easy for him to just get away from her right. in a large city like that. But because the place is small and she has like memorized his schedule and what he does, it's like, oh, it's easy for her to just show up somewhere and stalk him. Right. And we joked about how nice like he's got this beautiful house that's on a cliff next to the water, <laughs> which I mean is the immediate setup for the conclusion of this movie. <laughs> but yeah, so. I mean Like, the cinematography to open this movie, like, we get an aerial close-up into his house and this this portrait that someone's painted of him. And then we get these nice, beautiful aerial shots of him driving to work. No, he couldn't afford that house or that car being a 1970s disc jockey. Like, when he gets into the radio thing, I was like... Wait, that's his job? That's the job that he has with this nice car and that nice house that I just saw in this beautiful location, and he's a radio DJ. I mean, it it could have... Maybe I missed a line of dialogue where someone's like, like his, his, his... friend that fellow disc jockey yeah. was like you sure yeah. were lucky that your parents left you like two million dollars no. <laughs> something no, like I, that they didn't they didn't okay. i mean that's why i was so that's why i found it so funny because like they explain in dialogue why donna mills has her beautiful house right but with him it's like oh he just has this you know it, it's like the thing on <laughs> friends where we don't know what their jobs are but they all live in luxury apartments oh yeah yeah See, so it's it's that like you gotta suspend your disbelief for this movie <laughs> just right right out of the gate you just have to suspend like yep Clint Eastwood lives in this beautiful house with this beautiful car so, he's trying to get back with his beautiful girlfriend it's like his life is amazing so another another compliment that I have to give Mr. Eastwood as far as a first time director, I'm going to throw some facts. These are facts at you, Kevin, and let me know what you think. This movie was filmed in one month in Monterey, California. He finished four days ahead of schedule. Wow, that is that is impressive. I, I... That is really impressive, I gotta say. And he, he did this only in one month. And fifty thousand dollars under budget. How often do you hear today right. of directors finishing a movie ahead of schedule and under budget? Never. You and even what? like the times where they would need like like really good money shots, like with the few moments of blood and stuff like that. It looks real. Like the, the the scene where she murder the scene where uh, Jesse Walter murders someone close to him, that like you see blood off on this person's hand and on the sheet, and you're like, uh, they're 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 done. I mean, it just looks so real. Well, I'm sure they use like squibs, but it's like it looks it looks great. Right. So we're dealing with the seventies. There's no CGI here. It's all practical effects. And someone was mentioning um. In the behind-the-scenes documentary, if you pick up the DVD or Blu-ray of Play Misty for Me, there's a very interesting little mini-documentary about the making of this movie where I'm picking up a lot of these facts. Um, he was he knew that the scenes of violence in this movie are very few and far between. This probably you can count on one hand easily the amount of yeah. So he wanted to make those scenes especially bloody just for a lack of a uh, a lack of a better word he was like more blood 
like he kind of wanted to he was like like we, more blood i mean i mean there's a terrible i mean trigger warning for people with uh suicidal ideation there is a scene where this oh, yeah. when, when they did that i was like Ugh. yeah i I was not expecting that, and I don't. And I like, don't think that they'd be able to get away with something like that. No, um, they wouldn't. And like that's a, like, yeah, because like, yeah, when they did that, that was one of the biggest shocks. And then the next scene of gruesome violence for seventy standards, that was even more shocking. So I was like, wow, you actually topped yourself. I think that's why I wanted at least one more, just because like, okay, these are the. These are like when your direction really comes alive, like in these <laughs> these kill scenes, these gore scenes. Yeah, that's where I think he's at his best as a director because it's it's really tense. Yeah, and it just like it's yeah, like it's it's scary. It just and I was just like, wow, you really know what you're doing in these moments. Well, it's got to be doing all those westerns with people getting shot up. He's <laughs> like, well, we we don't have any guns in this movie, but we're gonna sure make use of these knives. And the scissors, oh. and the scissors at the end. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, the, the the shots where where Jesse Walter is on top of his girlfriend, like cutting her hair. I was like, yeah. get get away! I mean, yeah, again, that's why like, the the last fifteen minutes of this are like, I would say that them they alone like they alone are worth seeing the movie at least once because it's really well done right there. And the editing back between him rushing to get there and what's going on. And then just the, the final little fight that he has with her. And it doesn't go on. It's not a prolonged, this like prolonged no. thing where, or like where we get into horror territory where you think she's dead and she pops back up. It's like, Nope, he po- he, he's a you know she gets the advantage of him for a little while and then it just takes one punch which would all it take from Clint Eastwood this guy's ripped in the seventies yeah. this one punch yeah. she goes out the window over the balcony boom dead I like that yeah. I like that simplicity I I did too like I totally expected her to go like Aah! and it's like oh wait We're actually following believability where she <laughs> fell off a giant cliff and under spiked rocks and now she's dead. Yeah. Uh, and then you know, the play the Misty song is playing us out. So speaking of that, um Universal did not like the title of this movie. They did oh, no. they did not like they're like that's too many words. <laughs> People are gonna be like, what is this play Misty for me? What is this? Is this a musical? Is this a cop? <laughs> So um, some of the other titles that that were um, thrown around were the Stalker or the Slasher. Uh, Clint Eastwood kind of, and I'm glad that he kind of dug his heels in. Um, yeah. Because another, I I think another reason that this movie has achieved such cult status is partially because of this title. I mean, unfortunately, Clint Eastwood has been in so many movies that, and most of them have two or three. It, two or three letters to the title, a lot of them. Um, but something like Play Misty for me, you're either going to always remember that title or at least it'll, it at least has embedded its, its uh, fingernails into your skin a little bit that you're going to be like, that sounds vaguely familiar. Um, 
Yeah, it's a very it's it's a unique title. It was a good. It was a yeah. The the title of it like it it's attention grabbing. You're like, what is what is misty? What does that mean? And then you, know, you see directed by Clint Eastwood and starring Jesse Walter, who I who I think most people like. And you're like, oh, let's check this out. Right. I'm I'm a little bit surprised that I haven't that I had never heard of this at all until you brought it up because. Even like, like like Clint Eastwood, he's like both of them. Both of them are highly celebrated, right? And so it's like, wow, you think? And it's especially funny, like knowing that she. I have to wonder: did she get typecast in roles like this, or did she like distance herself from being this kind of character? You know, I I don't know. Um, I'm sure that producers tried to typecast her because she's so good as it but then like I said the first my my biggest familiarity with this role just because it's a TV series and I've seen so many episodes is her comedic like how good of a comedian yeah. she is she's yeah, a very good comedic too. actress but I yeah, got me too like she's in like that and then I think she was uh, Archer's mom on the Archer show okay alright I, I, I I think it was her. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, she. Yeah, I only know her for comedy, and I didn't even recognize that this was a younger version of her until I googled this. I was like, "Oh my god, this is her!" And I, I don't want to sound like a male chauvinist pig, but she was gorgeous. That's uh, a, yeah, that's a compliment. Like, yeah, I know, but I just want every everybody in this movie is gorgeous. I was gonna say Clint Eastwood. Like this is like, <laughs> I uh, so this just came upon me, and I I I, I think part of the reason that I want to see this movie just go back with a different lead is that every other person that he's on screen with is more interesting to me than his character. Going from, like, his, from his little rapport with the other disc, the black disc jockey, I'm yeah, much with more... His, with his friend, like, yeah. I wanted more I'm much guy. more... Like, yes! <laughs> where is this guy? Like, you introduce him, he's like, hey, man, let, let's go hang out. And yeah. Like, where, where did he go? I want more like, of that even, guy. And even, even his... Even his cleaner is more interesting I than I was gonna say, that's what, that was the scene that really, I'm like... I love this, his housekeeper. I love the way that she's sassing him and doesn't take any of his crap. No. And, <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, like, I feel like if you, had, if you had an actor in that lead part who was like, who could sell being more of a normal guy than it might not notice, it's just, it's a weird bit of miscasting having Clint Eastwood, who is just so kind of like fiercely authoritative, playing this guy who on the page... It's just like he gets run for a loop so quickly. Yeah, uh, like, even even the cop that's investigating oh <laughs> gets more interesting. I love the I love the dynamic between him and the cop. It's just, so like, good. Yeah, the, eyeballing each other like you gonna do your job? Yeah, if you if you can help me do my job, it's like what. If, and like I love that he. Oh, he's got the best. He, the, he's got the best line in the movie. He's like. <laughs> He's like, so you really listen to my show? He's like, listen, if we had a TV, like, like, a, well, no, and then, like, it's funny. It's also funny to me. Like, they say like that character picks a line of poetry every time, and 
But and Jessica Walter, she like she fe- she gives him a line from the, one of the most famous poems of all time by Edgar Allan Poe. He cannot. He doesn't know that immediately. No, it like, would. The only what? thing. The only thing that would have been more obvious from Edgar Allan Poe is if like her poem was like quote the Raven nevermore. Like other than that, yeah, like because like, I had to. I read that in college for one of my English courses, and I was like, wait, where did that sound from? Oh, Annabelle Lee. And then I love like there's a dramatic zoom on the text of her doing it in voiceover, and it's like. Wow, you, you had to look that up to figure out what it was. Yeah. You're somebody that reads poetry what? every night. In his defense, he's a disc, a jazz disc jockey, and not an yeah. English professor. So yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and that's a little, I guess, a little dig. But yeah, it's yeah, he's. And I don't think he gives a necessarily bad performance acting wise in here. I just think it's. I just think his vibe doesn't fit this. No, because I think that. He was, I mean, obvious, and, and like I said, this is why it just falls into first-time director kind of thing, that he wasn't really kind of sure how to play this character. I think no. a, a better director would have been e- e- better to curate a, you know, a more fleshed-out, believable character. Oh, yeah, because he, he goes back and forth between, because like, when, when his friend is saying, like, hey, let's go out, and he's like, I've got so much work I gotta do today. Yeah. I was like, "What? What do you have to do today?" I gotta sit around, smoke cigarettes, drink beer, and listen to jazz. <laughs> drink beer, and I gotta get my jazz records out. It's like, okay, like, like you know, I don't know '70s Hollywood all that well, so I don't know who I would replace him with. But yeah, it was definitely occur. It definitely occurred to me. It's like he's a good actor. But he was not right for this, and that's the first time I've ever seen Clint Eastwood be in something where I felt like he wasn't the right person for the right, role. Yeah, but I, I I think this is just first time director, first time you know being in front of the camera and behind the camera. I mean, we got there's got to be nobody, with very few exception, I would say, for like first time directors, like hit an absolute grand slam out of the park. A lot of them hit home runs, but a grand slam? No. Uh, so I wouldn't say, and I'm not saying that uh, Play Misty for me is a grand slam, nor is it a home run. This is, uh, oh, I would say this, yeah, I was going to say base hit, maybe you could steal second. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, it's a, I mean, another thing, like, I do think that, the, I do think that if they had, uh this, I think that he's just really lucky that he got that he, that he was smart to cast Jessica Walter in there, and like the entire supporting cast around him is really good in their parts. Right. And so you kind of can you can kind of just ride with the fact that he's not the most engaging person in this story. No, and so and, I was gonna say. So I was just looking. This movie is an hour and forty three minutes. Yeah. I would recommend if you have not seen this movie or are planning to revisit this movie, watch this movie, but fast forward the love montage. I or watch <laughs> you know what? Even bet watch thirty seconds of it. You don't need to watch the full I mean, we listen to the entire song, which is like I said it's a beautiful song. We're not knocking the song, but I mean that montage kills the tension. It's way too long for where it's placed in the movie. I mean, yeah, I would have been. 
It could have been, you should have chopped up like a 15 second, 20 second montage. Not, well, not multiple minutes here. Yeah, and it's just like, it, it, it just made me laugh at how long it went on. Because I was like, wow, this, it makes it unintentionally funny. Yeah, for a couple yeah. Of minutes. And, when it, the, yeah, and then, and then again, you've got the yeah that that was the biggest mistake of the yeah. entire thing. I feel like if he had if he directed a movie like this now, and someone in the script had a scene like that, he would cut it. Either that, or he'd play. Like I said, we were talking earlier. I think this movie th- that scene comes in twenty minutes, half an hour too late into the movie. It should have been okay. way earlier in the movie. Yeah, like that. That comes in like yeah, like have that. Yeah, maybe some, some rewriting, like, have it be that he's dating this girl. Have it... They're a- having issues. They're, they're having issues because she's away all the time and kind of secluded out. Right. But their relationship is still good, and then you can have that scene there to show, okay, they're having problems, they still love each other. You, just, they, like, just yeah. a little extra thing. Just don't put it where they did. No, it should have... Instead of being... Ending the second act, starting the third act. This that scene should have been ending the first act, going into the second act of the movie. It that would have completely changed the pace because that that second the the ending of the second act, going into the third act, leading up to the conclusion should have been all tension, all suspense. It, it's like stopping for a music video, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, it, it's literally stopping for a music video that you're like. Okay, I guess. And also, another scene that I liked in this was uh, I thought I liked the bit where he's meeting with the other disc jockey and she just, and Jesse Walter just comes up into the restaurant and wrecks it for him. Oh, yeah. The, the, the that pure psycho. That was, oh, God. She. Yeah, she's like screaming, and it's like, oh, uh, like it's not only she's screaming, she's insulting the other. Like this lady is up, and they've made references to this lady's age, and he's trying. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, he's trying um, to get. Uh, I would say uh, he's trying to get a syndication deal, which would mean that he's uh-huh. not just broadcast in in um, California. Like he would be syndicated across the United States. So he would, his audience would be exponentially larger. Um, and she's an older woman that they've made, you know, um, references to. But Jessica Walter comes up and she, like, straight rips this lady apart. And, like, it's Ugh. so, it's so, and that's what, and that's, the scene works well because it makes you so uncomfortable. Because yeah. she's not saying anything She's not. She's not like dropping f bombs. She's saying some like really disgusting things to this to her and Clint Eastwood, and you're just like, oh, that's it's like, it's good. It's like good cringe because that's the reaction you're supposed to have. And then he puts her in a a taxi cab, and the taxi guy's like, where do I take her? And he's like, I don't care. Just drive. Just get her out of here. That's, yeah, that again. She she's like screaming in the back of the taxi cab, and he's trying to keep his cool. And then she, he goes back to the table, and the lady's just gone. Right. Yep. And the, it, it's uh, it, that to me. And another reason I like this movie, and you had you had um, kind of mentioned this earlier. For the most part, this is a 
a pretty realistic depiction of these. We don't get anything too over the top and we don't get anything that's like completely like roll your eyes. Like, Oh, that's so unrealistic. It's, it's, it's pretty realistic for like an obsessed. It's probably the, it's, it's the most realistic obsessed stalker movie that I've seen. Yeah, that's fair. I to would... where like to where like and I, like and on the opposite end of that spectrum is like probably like swim fan or something <laughs> where you've got yeah. stalking yeah. Jesse Bradford and they give you all these music cues that she's creepy and his life goes down way too fast. Right. No, if and you... it's like what? No, this one. This one takes its time, like, etching up, like, how crazy she is right. and how dangerous she is to him. And I kind of, I appreciate it for that. Like, in the 70s pacing of it, it's like, okay, we're going to give, like, it's not, it's, the house of cards will fall in time. Right. See, I like that. Yes. Yes. And yes, we're not being told how to feel through a music sting, stinger, like, or, Yes, there's some dramatic close-ups in this movie, but I mean, again, n- nothing like there's nothing like you see in a really bad stalker mer- you know, movie. And yeah, I was gonna say, sw- swim fan is like is like the the it's the young adult, wa- very uh, deluded version of a stalker movie. So, well, it is like somebody it's like. It's it's kind of like that one to me is like everything that this one did right, that one does wrong, and in in doing so, it's not scary whatsoever. Yes, no, um, that's very then, very fair. And and then like, I will say about this movie, like this was one of the this is like the first one of these kinds of movies to come out of the I think it's, it's of this specific kind of stalker thing. Like, I know they had, like, Cape Fear back in the 60s, but I still need to see. You've got, like, one guy stalking another guy. Right. But, like, of this type, where you've got, like, a, a quote-unquote crazy woman stalking somebody, I appreciate the genre that it spawned. Like, this, like, we got this, and then as a result, we got, like, Fatal Attraction and The Hand That Rocks the Cradle and things of that ilk. Right. And without this, I don't know if we would have gotten those things, which I do love, because I think they are... I think they took the the basis established by this and they ran with it. Yep. Um, so this is you. You could have started off a much worse foundations than this movie. Um, this movie came out October twentieth, nineteen seventy one. It debuted at the San Francisco Film Festival. It was it was kind of it wasn't like highly acclaimed by critics but it wasn't ridiculed either it was very middle ground and it it did respect respectfully at the box office and um i would just talk about the influence of this movie like you said you just mentioned a whole bunch of movies that respond from this premise this movie was referenced in grand theft auto 3 <laughs> that 70s show and fortnite all have very direct references to um this and i'm gonna have to go back and watch dirty harry because there's a scene where dirty harry's out on the street and the marquee for the movie theater is is um for 
Play Misty for me is playing. So <laughs> that just opens up a huge can of worms where I kind of want to see what Dirty Harry's reaction to Play Misty for me is. And the right. connection, of course, is Don Siegel. Don Siegel directed the first Dar- Dirty Harry movie. So I imagine Dirty Harry watching that going like, this moron's missing all the danger signs. Right? I, I know. Got her. Yeah. No, I, 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 need, I need to see Dirty Harry again as well because yeah, I saw it when I was too young to appreciate like that era of film pacing. Mm-hmm. Like I still remember watching going like, man, when is something going to happen in here? And, or, and when is more going to happen, I guess? And I know it opens up with a big thing. So yeah, I, I need to go back and watch that and Mystic River again. So a quick note about Dirty Harry is that the one of the scenes, well, actually one of the most well-known scenes in the climax of Dirty Harry at the is at a football or baseball stadium where it's just him and the uh, the Scorpio killer. That was actually directed by Clint Eastwood. Don Siegel was too sick to direct that particular portion of the movie, and uh, <laughs> Clint Eastwood directed that. So that's a little, um, little random fact. But um, we'll just start wrapping this up. Um, where would you place this as far as would this rank in your top ten top ten favorite Clint Eastwood movies? Uh, no, no, it wouldn't. I okay. think that it no, it, it would not. I appreciate I appreciate what it spawned. I appreciate some of it on its own, but this would not be in my like this would not be in any of my like top Clint Eastwood lists. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Would this be in the top twenty Clint Eastwood movies? Maybe number twenty. Okay. <laughs> so the last spot. So I'm just gonna wrap this this episode up, Kevin, by asking you. Um, say you're you're talking to a complete and just for the lack of a better word, I'm gonna say virgin. Say you're talking to a Clint Eastwood virgin. No one, someone that's never seen any of his movies. Not him directing. Not him starring in. Nothing to do. What What are five Clint Eastwood essentials that you would recommend? I would recommend uh, Million Dollar Baby, uh, well, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, for sure. Uh, Ran Torino. Uh, you got to throw in. You got to. You got to throw in a cop movie there, man. What? You got to throw in at least one cop movie. Okay, uh, Dirty Harry, how iconic it is, and then, and then like just for directing in terms of it's like, look how well directed this is. I'd say Mystic River. That is a great list. You got a great cross section of the western, the cop, pretty much a very um, varied career about the skills of Clint Eastwood. That's a great list. Um, Kevin, tell everyone. Uh, where we can find you and follow you. All right, uh, you can stalk me over on <laughs> Facebook at Kevin the Critic. I'm on Twitter at Kevin underscore the Critic, and I'm on Instagram at Kevin the Critic. And I will, uh, I'll have those links in the episode description. Go, go play Misty for Kevin, and uh, he'll <laughs> if you send him a message like that, he'll know exactly what you're talking about. So. Um, Kevin, any last words? Thank you again so much for rejoining me here on the podcast. As as usual, a, a great appearance. So thank you again. Thank you. Th- thank you for having me on and throwing in this 
you know, missing pieces, but, you know, Clint Eastwood's filmic history for me. I, I will certainly not forget this film. So, yes, and I think that's the most important takeaway from this. If you haven't seen this movie or you haven't seen it in a while, um, there are hundreds if not thousands of worse ways to spend an hour and 43 minutes it's important it's i mean you're gonna get something out of this movie even if you're just revisiting jessica walter's performance i mean that alone is um and 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 like me and kevin said watch rewatch this movie or watch this movie and just pay more attention to any other character on screen other than Clint Eastwood. <laughs> because they, you'll want to know so much more about all these characters. It's uh, it's kind of a trip that way. So that and that's not something I could say about a lot of movies. So um, it's definitely worth a view. Kevin gave it three and a three out of five stars. I don't have a star yeah. rating, but if I did, I would say three and a half. Maybe four, depending your my your mileage definitely will vary on this movie, um, but I think three out of five is a very very fair representation. Again, Kevin the critic, follow him on Twitter. He's reviewing what I love is that you review not only the latest movies coming out, but you dip back into the just like the films of yesteryear that need to be kind Older of things. Yeah. Like Actually, and I, I've, I, last week I, I went on kind of like a Star Trek movie binge, just kind of marking them off. And I'm I'm saving Star Trek Generations for a while. I never got. I, I mean, Star Trek was one of those things that I've probably seen all the movies and a handful of episodes. I was I was never, um, you know, head head over heels. <laughs> yeah, the, I'm in the well. It's what, I'm into the next generation TV show. Like I, I'm watching that one. I mean, I'm in, in the middle of that. Um, you know, I, when I finish it, I may do. So I'll probably try at least one of the other ones. But yeah, what I appreciate about the Star Trek movies for me is like a lot of them. I think are just well-made movies, regardless of if you're a Trekkie or not. I was gonna say. Um there is the one movie and I'm sure every, you could probably guess which one I'm going to say the one that I can always go back and watch Rathacon I actually need to revisit that one because yeah, I think that was the that was the first one of the older movies that I saw it's, and then I, I, it's I made really a really good. dumb I made, no it's great Like I and then I made a really dumb decision of like my, me and my college friends were like let's just like, we've heard Wrath of Khan and Into Darkness are, like, really similar. Let's watch them both back-to-back. And so Ooh. we watched Wrath of Khan. I watched Wrath of Khan for the first time. I'm like, I'm in love with this. And then I watched Into Darkness. I'm like, oh, my God, what did you do? That It's the perfect... I mean, and there's a couple movies you could do that with. You take a character, and I, it's like um, two sides of a coin. How to do the character right? And then the bottom side is how to not do the character right. Yeah, and that, and then like in the darkness, like it's what's what's even worse about in the darkness is that if you like, I saw, I grew up, you know, I was like a teenager when those uh, when the Chris Pine Star Treks were coming out, so that was my introduction to the to the series. So I see Star Trek in the Darkness back in 2013, and Benny coming back is like. My name is Khan, and I'm like, no, it's not. That's <laughs> well, well, my reaction was like, really? What the hell is that? Like, I don't. Okay, your name is Khan now. What does that mean to me? 
And then I saw after the Wrath of Khan, I'm like, oh. Oh, okay. Oh, that's... It's the ultimate... Why did you do that? It's the ultimate, like, name brand, you know... Khan from Rathacon, you know, is the name brand Cheerios, and then you got <laughs> the toasted the 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 Walmart toasted oats. The to- toasted uh, the star, yeah, the, the, the into darkness is like the toasted oats yeah. of the entire franchise. But well, look, well, Kevin, we've yeah, gone no, complete we've gone completely yeah. off on a tangent about Khan, <laughs> here now, but I just want to thank everyone for listening to the Cold Film Companion podcast. Play Misty for Kevin on Twitter, and he'll love it. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> we'll be back again with some more cult film gems real soon.